Hey everybody, welcome back. It's Pastor Brian, pastor of Mount Hope's Belmont campus. It's great to talk to you again. Last week, we started our new series, The Best Things That You Will Do This Year, we're calling it. And we said the best things you'll do this year in your relationship with God are the things that nobody sees. Well, this week we talk about one area of our lives and what that means for us. I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you listen closely, because I believe that God has something he'd like to say to you. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're like, uh, if you're like me, and I think if you're like pretty much everybody else around you, then this is a time of year uh, that you do some evaluation and assessment of yourself. Now, maybe you're not the kind of person that would make a resolution. I'm not the kind of person, I don't write out resolutions. Uh, maybe you don't write out specific resolutions either. But I would bet that when that calendar turns over, and one day it says 2016, and the next day it says 2017, and you spend time in the holidays, and maybe you have extra time during Christmas and New Year's that you don't normally get to kind of sit and think and reflect. I bet that at some point over the last couple of weeks, it has crossed your mind to think about life and to think about what you're doing and, and who you are and, and, and your finances and your family and, all, and your direction of your life, all that sort of stuff, and just do a little bit of evaluation and reflecting and assessing. The statistics say that about half of us in the room are the kind of people that would make a specific resolution, and the other half aren't, uh, but all of us probably think about life and evaluate and assess. For most of us, what we're assessing is the same thing that a new Marist poll that came out a couple of weeks ago says most people will be making their resolutions around for 2017. For a number of years, the biggest resolution has been simply to lose weight. That was number one for a number of years. But according to this Marist poll, it has changed this year, coming into 2017. It's no longer losing weight, although that is in the top three. The number one resolution that people are making this year, and maybe you are making something along this lines, is quite simply to be a better person. To be a better person. That's the number one resolution that they came up with in their poll. And I think a lot of the things that we make resolutions about this time of year, or that we just think to ourselves we would like to do better in this year than we did last year, are about being better people, aren't they? The habits we want to kick, and the, and the personality traits we want to work on, and, and even some of the outward appearance stuff. It's all under this umbrella, right, of trying to be better people. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, then we have a different question we ask ourselves as well. We may think about the better person question, but there's another question that we think about and ask ourselves when we think about going into a new year. And that question is, how can I enter this year and then exit this year Becoming more like Christ or becoming more godly. It's not just the question for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. It's not just the question of how do I become a better person, although that's not a bad question to ask. There's this other question we have to ask ourselves, which is how do I learn to follow God more? How do I go deeper in my walk with the Lord? A lot of people would put it that way. How do I become more Christ-like how does the image of God reflect in me more this year than it did last year? Those are important questions that we ask ourselves as followers of Jesus. And if you're like me, 
If you're like me, there's probably some areas in your spiritual life where you feel like you do okay, but then there's other areas where you know. You know you could use a little bit of work. And so the question's out there. How do we enter this year, and how do we attack this thing in a way that at the end of this year, we'll be in a deeper, stronger, better place in our walk with the Lord than we are Today, the thing about walking with the Lord is we could have done it for 80 years, 85 years. We could be Billy Graham, and there's still somewhere that we need to improve, somewhere that we need to work, somewhere where we're not quite reaching the level that God calls us to. And so the question's out there for all of us. Last week, we started this new series that we're going to be doing through the month of January, and we're calling it The Best Things That You'll Do This Year. And we're specifically talking about those things that will take us deeper in our walk with the Lord, those things that will help us to be more Christ-like, those things that will help us to know God better. That's where we're going to focus our energy. And if you were here last week, Pastor Marvin Thomas preached an excellent sermon telling us that the best things that you're going to do in 2017, the best things that I'm going to do in 2017, in order to grow deeper in our walk with the Lord are the things that nobody else sees. The things that happen in obscurity. Is here's what we believe about walking with God. We think it's like almost anything else that someone could master. A couple years ago, I had the opportunity to go down to the Deutsche Bank Open, which is a big golf tournament. It's part of the golf playoffs, the PGA playoffs at the end of the year. So all the best golfers play. And I like to play golf. I'm terrible at it, but I like it. And so I went down there uh, to the Deutsche Bank Open uh, for the second round, and we followed a few people around, but there was really, this was a number of years ago, there was really only one person I wanted to follow around. And we finally, we walked around, and we finally found him, and we were walking through, and everybody else, you could just walk right up to the ropes and watch him play. And Phil Mickelson and anyone else that was out there, you just walk right up to the ropes and you watch him play golf. But when we found this person, the audience was 10 people deep. And we had to go two holes ahead to stand by the rope and wait for Tiger Woods to come walking up the fairway. And when Tiger Woods hit the golf ball, it might just be my imagination, but I'm telling you, it sounded different. He looked different than everybody else. The ball sounded different. The way it took off from the club looked different. And this was when he was kind of at the end of his prime and still playing great golf. And it strikes me that the only reason it looked like that when I was watching him was because he had spent thousands and thousands of hours when no one else was around, when no one else saw, when he was a young boy, just him and his dad on on the course, hitting golf ball after golf ball after golf ball. And anyone who's a master at anything, if you watch an artist create a masterpiece, if you watch a carpenter build a beautiful piece of furniture, if you watch somebody, uh, if you read a book that a master has written, there are so many books, so many scraps of paper that were thrown away to get to that masterpiece that you'll never read. So many pieces of art that only that artist's parents loved and put on the refrigerator. So many pieces of furniture that were never even put out for sale because they weren't even worth looking at that we never see. And the most important thing that happens in those moments isn't necessarily the thing that everybody sees. It's what was done in obscurity to get to that point. And the same thing is true in our walk with the Lord. We believe that the most important piece of our walk with the Lord isn't necessarily when all eyes are on us. 
and people are watching our every move because some of us can be pretty good at playing the game sometimes. It's the things that happen in obscurity when no one's watching. What are we doing then? So we're going to talk about those things over the next few weeks. In fact, this is a way uh, you could put it, a little equation that we came up with. If you're looking for depth in your walk with the Lord, this is how we would say it could happen. It will happen as we discipline ourselves to do certain things over time outside of the spotlight. Not necessarily when we're in the church sanctuary, not when we're in Bible study, but when we are by ourselves and the only eyes on us are God's eyes, what are those things that we should be doing? Depth in your relationship in the Lord will ultimately come when you learn to discipline yourself over time outside of the spotlight. That's how depth in in your relationship with God will happen. Now here's the problem with all of that. And part of the reason why some of us in the room don't even like to think about making resolutions, part of the reason I don't even make resolutions anymore, I don't write things down like I used to try to do, is because I know that no matter how well-intended I am, when I sit down to make a resolution, it could be in my Christian life or it could be in my, you know, outside life. I just want to be better at something. When I sit down to make one of those resolutions, I know, and you know, if we're honest with each other, that no matter how well-intentioned we are on January 1st, we're probably not going to keep it, right? We're probably not going to do it. And so some of us, we just don't even try anymore. We don't even write them down anymore. We don't even necessarily think about them much anymore because we know there's something that happens. Anytime we, with the best intentions, put something out there that we are going to do, whether it's something uh, outside of our walk with the Lord or whether it's something inside our walk with the Lord, when we set out our best intentions, there is something that comes our way that always threatens to derail us. And some of us, we've fallen, we've fallen victim to it so many times that we are very cautious now of ever even making the resolution in the first place. And that thing that always gets in our way, that causes us to stumble and causes us to fall and causes us to not keep our resolutions has a word. And the word for that thing is simply temptation. We make a a resolution. We say we're going to do something. And it is inevitable that temptation is going to come. And we are all victim to falling to temptation. And some of us, we feel like we fall into it so much that it's not even really worth it anymore to make the promise because we know eventually we're going to give in anyway. I came into this year and I said, I don't write down resolutions, but I do think about things. And I think, man, I... Here's some places I would love to do better. And one of the places that I came into this year and I said, all right, here's one thing I'm going to do better this year. This year, I am going to drink less coffee because I love coffee. And I could walk, if I'm in this building and it's a Thursday and I'm by myself, Dunkin' Donuts is right there across the street. And every so often you say, hey, it's a good time to just walk across the street and get some Dunkin' Donuts or whatever. And in the morning at at home, I I could stand to drink less coffee. It'd be good for me. It'd be good for everybody. And so that's what I said. In my head, I was like, I'm going to try to do this. Less coffee. Well, last Sunday, I got up to come to church, January 1st. I get up early, it's dark, it's cold, and I walk downstairs, and I walk into the kitchen, and on the counter, staring me right in the eyes, is that Keurig machine, 
Blue light on because it's, there's a timer. It's already turned on for me. And uh, it's hot. It's ready. And it was speaking to me. And it was saying to me, it's just one button. No filter. No grounds. Just, just put the cup there and hit the button and instantly you'll have coffee. And so 15 minutes later, I said to myself, in 2018, I'm going to drink way less coffee, right? And we've all been there, right? We have all been there. We try to put something out there that we're going to do. Some of us said, hey, we're going to lose some weight this year. And two nights ago on Friday night, your neighbors invited you over. And they had gotten the best cupcakes that are made in the North End or someplace. And they're like, you have to try them. And everybody ate the entire box of cupcakes. And you left there and you're like, oh, it's not even like seven days in. And I already fell back on what I wanted to do. Maybe you were going to save more money. And she said, I'm going to save money this year. And then you went to the mall and they were having these after Christmas sales. And the clothes were still too expensive, but you knew that you needed them, and you could see the jacket, and you could see the outfit, and you knew exactly where you were going to wear it, and so you left the mall, and you said, in three months when I pay these credit cards off, I'm really going to save some money, or maybe you entered this year, and you said, I'm going to be a better Christian. I'm going I'm to swear less. I'm going to be a nicer person. I'm not going to get so angry all the time. I'm going to kick this habit in my life. And here we are, January 7th, and you're already saying to yourself, man, I really hope this is the week I can start it, because last week wasn't so good. This is the problem that we have, isn't it? We want to be better people, or if you're a follower of Jesus Christ like I am, we want to be, and here's the more important piece, more godly people, more Christ-like have the image of God alive in us and reflecting in us. Live the life that God is calling us to. But this thing, temptation, comes in and threatens to derail the whole thing constantly. And some of us have a really hard time with this because we make the best laid plans and then temptation comes and we find ourselves again and again and again falling victim to it. So the question that we have in front of us then is if the goal is to become more Christ-like, if the goal is to become more godly, but temptation keeps getting in the way, then how in the world are we supposed to deal with temptation? Because if we could just learn to deal with temptation well, if we could just learn to deal with that piece well, then we could get over the hump and become the people that God is calling us to be. So this morning, this is what I'd like us to do in our time together. I'd like us to try to figure out how to deal with temptation by looking at the way that Jesus himself dealt with temptation. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. There was a time in Jesus' ministry, in fact, before he ever really went out in the public and started to do things, where he faced some pretty strong temptation. We're going to look at at the version of it that's listed in Matthew chapter 4. It's also in the Gospel of Luke and in Mark, if you wanted to read it there. And we're going to see how Jesus himself dealt with this and what we can learn from it. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Here's what Matthew records. When Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That makes sense. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took Jesus to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands you will be, he, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again is, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. You think about the place where Jesus is at. You and I are most susceptible to temptation when we're lonely and tired and hungry, and that's exactly where Jesus finds himself. Matthew records that Jesus was in the desert alone for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was on a fast. So here was Jesus, tired, hungry, and lonely in the middle of not just a fictional desert, but the desert. And here temptation comes in the middle of that place. And I don't know about you, but if it was me, I would be extremely susceptible in that place. Hungry and lonely and tired. And the enemy comes to Jesus. And we're just going to give a brief overview and basically ask him to leave his allegiance from his father in heaven and come and serve him by allowing the enemy to be the provider of bread, by worshiping him, by testing God. And so the enemy comes to him and says, look at where you are right now, hungry and alone in the desert. Come and follow me. Come and be a part of my team. And let's do this together. And Jesus answers him every single time, all three times, in a very specific way. Jesus answers him by quoting Scripture. And I want you to think about this together with me. Because here's how Jesus was able to avoid temptation in the desert. Jesus was able to avoid temptation by learning and loving the Word of God. That's how Jesus avoided temptation. Jesus avoided temptation because he had both learned and loved the Word of God. Think about it with me. When the enemy, think about how Jesus had learned the Word. When the enemy comes to him and tempts Jesus, Jesus responds with Verses from the Old Testament, very specifically verses from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Deuteronomy chapter 8. So Jesus Christ has internalized these scriptures. Now think about the access that he would have had. These scriptures are not available on his phone. They're not available in print form. They're not available in a book that you could take anywhere with you. They're only available in scrolls in the synagogue. And so he had spent so much time in the synagogue, in school as a young boy, coming up through uh, what every young boy would have done in a Hebrew household and going to uh, school in the temple. And so he went through all of that and had so internalized the word of God, so learned the word of God, that when the enemy had him in this lonely place with zero access to it, he could recall it and respond. And so he learned it. But he also loved it. And here's how I know Jesus loved the scriptures, because the enemy knows the scriptures too. 
If you look at the verses, Satan himself quotes scripture in verse chapter 6. He knows them too. He learned them. But you know Jesus loves them because Jesus follows them. And so not only are they so internalized, but he so loves them that he is passionate about them and willing to do what the scripture says. So Jesus Christ avoided temptation by learning and loving the word of God. And let me tell you this morning that if you want to become the person that God wants you to be, if you want to become more Christ-like in your life, if you want to look back at the beginning of 2018 and be in a better place in your walk with God than you are today, then you and I need to learn to live the life God calls us to live by learning and loving the word of God. It's the only way to get there. You cannot live out God's will for your life And his word, if you have not learned it, and you do not love it. See, many of us try to do that. Many of us try to live this thing out that we call Christian faith or being a disciple of Christ or following Jesus, whatever we want to call it. We try to live this thing out without really learning and loving what's in the book. We love the community. We love coming to church. We pay the pastor to learn and love the word or we pay whoever's on staff, or we have a friend that learns and loves the word, and we love to sit with them and say, tell me, tell me, tell me all you've learned and tell me how you love it. But for us personally, if we never take the time to learn and love the, God, the word of God, we will never be able to secondhand, in a secondhand way, live out what God is calling us to do. But that's how many of us try it. Some of us try one of the two. Some of us, we love to learn about God's word, but we don't necessarily love it. We try to live out what God wants us to do by learning everything about this book without necessarily loving it. When we do that, the Bible becomes more of a textbook or a reference guide. We know a lot about it. We know the historical context. We know the original languages We know all the work that's gone into knowing that this copy uh, is exactly what was written thousands of years ago. We know all those details about the book. We know about Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. We know about Moses and Abraham and Joseph and David and Samuel. We know all the stories that are in here. We know what Daniel did. We know what Job went through. We know everything that's in here. We know it. We've learned it. uh, And and we, we know it all. But the problem is, is that if we don't love it, the Bible is nothing more than a textbook or a reference book. The Bible becomes more like a Google search engine where, you know, in your life and in my life, do you remember the days, do you remember the days uh, when we would try to figure things out and that conversation could literally last for days or weeks? Like if I said to Lee, if I said, Lee, what won the best picture last year? What was the Oscar for best picture? And he and I had different answers. There was a day that that argument could go on for weeks. And we would either have to go to the library and try to find out what publication would tell us uh, what was the best picture last year, or we'd have to go find someone we both trust, or we'd have to watch Siskel and Ebert or something and try to figure out who won best picture last year. But today, that conversation is over in like 0.5 seconds. Because one of us is just going to pull out our phone and we're going to say, Siri, who won the best picture last year? And Siri will tell us. And it's over. This is why we don't talk to each other anymore. We just have this giant reference guide. All these arguments are done. All these conversations are over. 
And the Bible can become like that to us. Where someone says, isn't that, we're in the Bible, what does the Bible say about parenting? We're like, I learned that. You know, the Bible says children obey your parents, you know, husband, fathers don't exasperate your children. Like, we know everything that the Bible says. We learned it all. It's just a giant reference book. When we're trying to figure out what we're supposed to do about things, we just have learned it and we know it. But textbooks and references don't necessarily change our behavior. And some of us, we don't really love learning about the Bible. We're not really into treating the Bible like a textbook. And so we don't really like to learn. We don't really learn the Bible, but man, we love it. We love the Bible. It's like that Bible that your grandma had on the coffee table. You remember the giant one that nobody ever opened and nobody ever touched? The one that sat on the bookshelf with the gold edges and Holy Bible written in fancy cursive gold on the front? That one that had the pictures inside of it that was just way too big for anybody to ever open? And everybody loved that Bible. It had probably been passed down from generation to generation. Everybody loved it. But nobody really bothered to learn anything about it. And some of us are in that space. We love the Bible. We have Bible verses everywhere. They're on post-it notes. They're on coffee mugs. Uh, we, we, we love listening to the person on television who is so passionate about the Word of God. We love the Bible and love hearing about the Bible. But when the problem that we run into is if we're not willing to take the time to learn what the Bible actually says, we set ourselves up to easily be led astray. So that if the enemy comes to us and quotes scripture like he did to Jesus, it might sound great to us. If he comes with passion and takes this out of context and misquotes it to us, if the guy on television tells us if we give him a dollar, God will give us 10, we might think that's in here. And so we might fall victim to that because we love the word of God as we should, but we need to take time to learn the word of God as well. If I'm going to live out this life that I'm called to live, if I'm going to be Christ-like, if I'm going to love people the way God calls me to love them, then I, for myself, need to have both learned and be passionate about this thing. Just learning it without loving it leaves it dry and empty, and that doesn't affect anything. Loving it without learning it is passion without knowledge, which can be a very dangerous thing. And so we must do both. The question is how? How do we do it? Well, if you've been around Mount Hope for a while, you know every year about this year, we give you a suggestion. A suggestion of something that you could do this year so that by the end of the year, you have learned more about this book and fallen more in love with it. Now, some of you have a routine. When you're home alone throughout the week, you have a certain thing that you do in the Bible. You have certain books that you like to read, and that's fine. But here's one example, something that's pretty new that I would suggest to you if you're sitting and wondering what you should do this year to fall more in love and learn more about this book. There's something out there called The Bible Project. And The Bible Project is great. In fact, I'm going to ask uh, Patrick uh, and some of our ushers if you guys would be willing to pass out the piece of paper I uh, gave you earlier. They're going to pass out this piece of paper for you to take a look at. The Bible Project has a few different elements to it. And this is one way that you could spend your time this year so that by the end of the year, you learn, have learned more about this book and fallen more in love with it. So here's the three different elements that I'll talk about this morning. The first is the Bible reading plan. The Bible project, 
you're getting the Bible reading plan in your hand right now. The Bible Project has a plan that will take you through the Bible in a year. Now, for some of us, that's really ambitious. And so whatever you want to do, you could just go at your own speed and do it as you can do it. But if you followed this plan to a T, it would take you through the Bible in a year. So you start off reading every day some chapters in the book of Genesis and one of the Psalms. Here's some of the things that are with this plan that I find very useful and I really enjoy. The plan has a great app if you're into that and you would use that. A fantastic one that includes all the text that you would be reading that day and will allow you to check off your progress as you go. Now, I'm someone, I like the paper. I like feeling the book, but I still use the app. The app helps me keep track. I check off each day. I'm seven days in. So far, I haven't fallen into temptation, and so I'm going to keep going. The other thing that I really enjoy when you think about learning and loving the Bible is the folks at the Bible Project have put together for every book of the Bible some fantastic videos that are in the app and that are online that you can watch. And so let's say you were reading the book of Exodus, and you can see on the reading plan, it says, watch the Exodus video. You would go on your computer or on your phone and watch the Exodus video. And they have these fantastic six or seven minute long videos that explain the entire overarching theme of the book you're about to read and how it fits within the greater context of scripture. And even if you weren't going to do this reading plan, you have your own reading plan this year, I would highly encourage you to watch these videos. They're fairly new and so you may not have seen them before, but they are excellent. And so you could watch that, and you could get in just six or seven minutes all, a number of the things you would need to learn about this book in order to understand what it says. And then you can dive in and start to read it. So I don't know what you'll do this year to learn and love the Word of God more, but here's one suggestion. You could use the Bible Project, and I personally think it's a great one. It's how I'm going to walk through the Word of God this year. I don't know where you're at this morning. But if you're someone that cares about being more godly in your life and you're someone that cares about being more Christ-like, I am 100% sure that the enemy is putting temptation in your life to try to derail your plans to follow God more completely and follow him more fully. Anytime we commit ourselves to being more Christ-like and doing what it is that God wants us to do, I know that the enemy is going to stand somewhere in your life and try to put temptation in your way so that he stops your progress forward. So how do we attack that? How do we counter those attacks? We have the example of Jesus, and as we close this morning, I want you to listen to the words of the psalmist of David in Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. This is what David says. How can a young man, a young woman, keep his way pure? How can we stay pure? How can we be more Christ-like? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's what Jesus did. 
to keep himself on track and avoid temptation is he learned and loved this book. It's what David did. Fall more in love with this book and to learn it so that he might not sin about God, sin against God. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward as we close this morning. And as they come, I want you to think about something with me. I have in my office a lot of books. Pastors just tend to be book hounds. It's what we do.